Hello, I'm Francisca Maga. I work in the research team here at Oxfam GB and I'm here with my colleague Deborah. Hello. Hi, I'm Deborah Hardoon. I'm Deputy Head of Research at Oxfam. And we're here to kick off a series of book reviews that we've called Book Banters. And we're looking at books, very specific books, um, from sort of not so much an individual angle, but one, an Oxfam angle, I guess, where we try and see what these books can tell us as an organization. So we're starting today with a discussion of Deaton's The Great Escape. And which book did you pick, Deborah? I picked a book by Morton Jervin called Africa, Why Economists Get It Wrong. That's quite provocative. Yeah. Right, so um, we'll just dive in and give a quick summary of what these books are about, why we picked them and so on, and um, have a discussion about that. So I'll start with the Deaton. The Deaton has a pretty sort of grandiose ambition. It's called The Great Escape, Health, Wealth and the Origins of Inequality, which is a, yeah, a very ambitious <laughs> project. So it's a very big picture, long-term view on the origins and the different trajectories of inequality between countries mostly. So he looks um, at the bottom of the distribution and what has made the lives of the poor across the world better on average. Most of the book is a focus on between country inequality. So where he's sort of dealing with different countries as case studies for the points that he makes. I think sometimes at Oxfam we're uncomfortable with the idea that inequality is nothing new in itself. So we want to challenge it and we think it's a problem, but in some form it has always been around. So I wanted to challenge that feeling a little bit. And it's also a very pragmatic book in a way, and I like that. So it means um, by definition, I think, some are better off. So we've already come quite a long way in a lot of ways. So uh, Bill Gates said about the book that if you want to learn about why human welfare overall has gone up so much over time, you should read it. So it's not so just about endorsement. Exactly. I, I don't, I'm not sure, is it? I guess it is. <laughs> so the book I chose has a provocative title. So why, why economists get it wrong and calling myself an economist of some description. <laughs> um, I wanted to find out what I was getting wrong and um, people that I respect as well. And indeed, the first part of the book really unpacks a lot of leading economist work, like bestsellers that are taken as kind of, um, yeah, really informing the way we think about the world. And not just those bestsellers and those economists, but what the impact they have is on institutions like the IMF, the World Bank and world leaders. And the impact of economists getting it wrong can be huge. Yeah, can be huge. So, so okay, if that's, if that's the claim, then let's find out what Morton Jervin's arguments are. What are the main takeaways for you from the book? The main takeaways was that he focuses very much on data. Mm. So we've written a lot about why economics and particularly sort of the traditional orthodox neoclassical economics mm. isn't fit for the kind of social justice and poverty er eradication we want to see in the world. But this is all really the theoretical stuff and what we value and what should be included in our kind of vision of um, development and progress. But what, what Morton Jervin focuses us on is the data itself, the quality of the data, mm -hmm. so the numbers, and the way that we treat that data in 
economic regressions and econometric analyses. So on the one hand, like I'm you know, well versed in the limitations of, for example, using GDP as a measure of progress. But on the other hand, what Morton Gervin focuses on is the limitations of looking at GDP and running regressions with it because of the underlying quality of that GDP measure in terms of whether the numbers are valid at all, but also whether or not you get any actual useful information from these sorts of regressions, from cross-country regressions, from analysing particularly African countries mm in an econometric analysis. And what he basically says is that the, the main findings from economists that do that are invalid. Oh, that sounds pretty, pretty damning. <laughs> very damning. And you know, by the end of it, I was, I was a little fed up, yeah. quite frankly. Because yeah. <laughs> it was really damning and, and quite a lot of generalizations as well about all economists getting it wrong, about all regressions being pointless mm. and misleading. And I, I totally respect and appreciate from the book that it's important to unpack the data, unpack the relationships we're exploring and look at the assumptions that are embedded within models. But I, for me, it went a little bit too far. It was you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater to say that you know, all economists are getting it wrong and there's no value in looking at the world's problems through these, this kind of data and analysis. And Kent, does he give some examples that would resonate with us um, of where things really go wrong because of the assumptions we draw from that data and the way we treat it? Well, the most powerful examples are like when he um, challenges certain best-selling books, you know, that come to conclusions that, <clears throat> like in Asimoglu and Robinson's book, The Wealth of Nations, you know, it's, it's all about institutions. And so he challenges that. And so it makes you think, oh, maybe, maybe it isn't institutions then because actually everything that their book is based on doesn't necessarily work. Or, you know, the bottom billion, which is all framed around poverty traps. And that's what you read that book thinking. And then you read Jervin's book and you're like, oh, maybe it's not about that at all. And there are no traps. And, and actually, I don't need to think in that way. Right. That sounds fascinating. You yeah. really make me want to read it now. How about you? What were you reading? So this book, really, Deaton, it's about everything. And it's so dense and so long. And it took me a very long time to read it because, A, I'm not an economist. And it was a lot of economic data to get through. But also, it just spans so much time and has so many ambitions and so many things he wants to achieve with it. So it's quite hard to pin down what the main things here to take away are. I think they're both sort of more methods heavy points to take away and then more thematic ones. So first of all, he really says, he makes it very clear that there is not just one type of economic inequality that's valid over time. So he shows very convincingly how sort of the dynamic within countries was the same for, for most countries on the globe for a long time. His time frame is the last couple centuries, basically. So, so is the focus, sorry, on within country inequality or between countries? So it's a, it's a bit of both and okay. it's hard to answer because at the beginning where he starts off, so a couple of centuries ago, it is um, basically the same phenomenon within countries across the globe. So in every country or more or less every country, you have a tiny elite and the tiny elite controls sort of the rest okay. of the population. And then over time, in some countries, sort of the masses and the bottom manage to be much better off through a bunch of innovations and growth and all of that. So 
he talks a lot about health and growth so it says it does what it says on the on the tin <laughs> health wealth and the origins of inequality um, so in a lot of countries sort of the bottom the bottom um, is no longer the bottom they become middle classes and they're much better off so the main type of inequality we see now is between countries on the global at the global level and no longer within countries if you had to pick one type mm. that's what we're seeing today um, okay. around the globe so how he's trying to cover basically everything how how was that possible how did that um, progress come along and what do these countries have in common and what do they do right and by extension also what do the what did the rest do wrong or what is the rest still doing wrong so is he seeing poor countries versus rich countries is that the basis of his analysis I would say it's um, the second half of the book um, is pretty much that yeah okay. so it's the difference between countries that is treated as inequality okay. and he does acknowledge that even in rich countries like the UK now or wherever, whatever rich country in the world has significant within country inequality as well. And he even acknowledges that the 1% in a lot of countries from all we know, and we don't even know that much because the data is not very good, is pulling away. But it's not the focus of the book. Okay. Most of it is really sort of case, case studies between between case country case studies to compare between each other which okay. is really interesting very interesting so does he recognize that between country inequality has declined he does but my criticism would be that he doesn't really put the two pieces of the puzzle together so much so yes um, a lot of countries that were previously really poor are less poor now whereas a lot of rich countries have been rich for a while. So you do narrow the gap in a way. Um, and he does acknowledge that within countries, there's very, very rich people who keep getting richer than the rest of us. But where does that leave us altogether, right? So um, I feel like he's splitting the within and between um, aspect of inequality a bit too much um, because he really refrains from talking about the top of the distribution. He acknowledges that there is, a di there is something going on um, and he even acknowledges that our data is not very good. Yeah. But then what are the implications of that for inequality? Inequality is not just the bottom, yeah. it's the top as well. Yeah, because it would be interesting to think about because the between country inequality gap is narrowing, what is it that's helped that gap narrow? And now we see within country inequality increasing. Is there anything that we can learn from the trend between country inequality falling that we could apply to within country inequality to see that fall too. And I think your point that it's not really addressing what's happening at the top of the distribution could have the answer to that. What is it about the role of in the between country um, story? What is it about the role of powerful, wealthy states that had an impact, whether it's because it's their own slowdown and their own much more kind of muted level of kind of economic growth, um, or whether it's actually kind of, um, you know, giving over some power, whether it is about kind of trade and investment. And I know he's very critical of aid, but mm -hmm. surely there's something about aid and transfer of resources from rich to poor that's helped explain the between country catch up that we can then use to think about the within country crisis that we're seeing right now. All right, so to wrap up, if you if you had to pick one point um, from the book you read to tell Oxfam staff and the sector 
and what would it be? Definitely. If you shouted from the roofs. Yeah, it'd definitely be about challenging, challenging data, questioning it, having a critical mind about it. There's a lot of kind of, um, I don't know, there's, a, there's an incentive to pick a number that tells a story that you want to tell and mm. just run with it without really unpacking it and critiquing it and really understanding what's behind it. And this book is all about doing that. And I think that's a really important message for anyone working with evidence, to use evidence to support programming work, campaigning work, advocacy work, and so on. What about you? I mean, it's very similar in the sense that um, it's a very much a research point of view. But um, I think there's very little to be generalized about inequality and much less than we sometimes have to work with in our day jobs because that's our jobs and we, we work with campaigners. So we have to treat them a certain way. But there's, um, from a research perspective, it's so much more nuanced and so much less generalizable, especially if you factor in evolution over time um, in different sort of scales that you look it up. And there's so much data nowadays that um, it's sort of everything and nothing. And he says at some point in the book, there's not one thing about inequality that is universally true. And I was like, yeah, that's a good that conclusion. That's <laughs> a good conclusion. It is also uh, adding to confusion, but it is, it is a good conclusion. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much, Deborah, for being here. And thank you also for listening. Now, we hope you go out and read the book. Um, tell us what you think. Engage with us. Follow this page and follow us on Twitter and have a discussion. And um, stay tuned here to find out when the next book banter discussion will happen.